Ladies and gentlemen, this is an auspicious day. What a day! What a fabulous day! It is, in fact, a red letter day. Today marks the dawning of a new episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. Featuring Parker. If at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking till you do succeed. <laughs> and Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Two premier content creators promoting the healthiest brand integrity in the world. Tell them what they've won, Spider. The way I see it, this should be a very dynamite show. Okay, no, Parker, we really do need 18 microphones, right? This isn't a Mickey Mouse podcast. This is. Oh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. My name is Chris. With me, as always, is Parker. And we just watched The Disaster Artist, the James Franco movie, along with Dave Franco and some other people, that's based off The Room from 2003. Parker, you've seen The Room, right? I've seen it more times than I care to admit. I like more to times think, than I ever thought I'd watch it. I like to think that I lived that movie. <laughs> so that's well, that's a great one. God, I, I hope I get to the ending real soon in my life. You feel me? <laughs> anyway, uh, that, the room was a lot of fun. The disaster artist is one that's been hyped up for a while, so we're pretty excited to talk about it. First things first, we're going to start off with the movies we've watched recently. Uh, Parker, what have you seen recently? Do you remember last week when I said I was halfway through The Punisher and it was really boring? I thought that's a TV show. Look, it's all the same. <laughs> Alright, just... that counts, that counts. So, there's about eight or nine really boring episodes. And then the last three are some of the most violent things I've ever seen in a TV show. So, I'm not saying you should watch nine hours of garbage. But if you're like me, you were going to anyways. So, at least know there's some payoff. Because, holy Jesus... There are some terribly, terribly violent things that happen. Oh, I, I hope that's violent in a good way. Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> All right. Some things like, I had not seen, I watched a lot of terrible, awful, violent things, and there were things I'd never seen before in <laughs> this thing based off a comic book. Things that kind of made me, like, wince. Like, God damn, that's, this is like, this is the same universe where Spider-Man's flying around and going to high school. Oh, man, they got you. incredible. I mean... Still about 10 hours too long, but, you know, yeah, well, what are you going to do? I'm not in charge of things. Watch something else, I guess. So, what else did you watch? Chris, I watched Popstar again. Great use of your time. I will never, ever get tired of watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing it up until everyone I know has watched it five times. Now, here is the hardest question of the night. What is your favorite song from that movie? got to be the bin laden song the it's bin laden song is definitely every up there. single line is perfect <laughs> <laughs> she wanted me to hit it like that tactical <laughs> at least <laughs> once a week i think about bill Hader <laughs> doing in the flatlining session <laughs> in the amount of time they took to build that set and have people bring him back from the dead <laughs> and that one of the guys wearing a lab coat's wearing a top hat <laughs> that movie is incredible. Uh, the, I think my favorite still has to be "Fuck Off," just because, like, <laughs> as, as someone who was a teacher of young children, that is exactly like the songs that we used to teach the kids. But man, the turn that legalize it takes fucking kills me. God, I could watch that movie again right now. It's I was so in good. bed with twelve different other women, and after we got done having sex, we all said that we're not gay, but we wouldn't want to legalize gay marriage for other people. 
I listened to that fucking <laughs> the gay marriage song like eight times. It wasn't until digging around the bonus features I realized that sexual freedom for all is Nambla's catchphrase. Oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, I've been singing that song out loud in public. <laughs> Oops. Oh goodness gracious. Uh, anything else? I'll do two more. I watched a movie called Mom and Dad. Well, let me give you the pitch here, Chris. Mm-hmm. So it's written and directed by one of the guys who made Crank. It's about a virus that's not really explained that makes parents go insane and want to murder their children. Mm-hmm. And it stars Nicolas Cage. Are I'm in? in. It's not as good as you want it to be, but oh. still pretty good. Like, with that premise, your mind goes to a lot of good places. It's a solid three stars. This just fine. reminds me of, like, that... Did you read that one, like, magazine story about Nicolas Cage and, like, his fall from grades? This dude was in Raising Arizona and all these other, like at least pretty good movies and now he's at the point where he has one of those like soft toilet seats that like preserves the warmth of your ass on it it's just like this is how far he's fallen if you're asking if in the middle of the movie i googled that story about him outbidding someone on a fucking dinosaur skull and then having to give it back because it was stolen the answer is yes. I think that's that might actually be the same story. I love him so much. I'm pretty sure the journalist sat on the toilet seat was just like, oh my goodness, I think I found the lead. <laughs> the day after I watched it, apparently his new movie played at Sundance, and it's like incredibly violent and gory. So, you know, good on Nick Cage. Yeah, he's definitely not upset about anything. And your, uh, your last one? I watched a Netflix original movie, a spooky movie, called The Open House. Chris... It fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, what's it about? Okay, so here's the quick thing. So, there's a mom, a dad, and a teenage son. You know, happy family. Everything's going great. Dad gets hit. He dies. Mom and son relocate to a house. But spooky things start happening. There's an intruder in the house. Who could it be? It's a whodunit. And there's all these people. Could it be the guy who runs the shop? Could it be the lady with dementia? Could it be the electrician? The answer is, you don't know who done it. You don't find out. What? It just ends. Oh, I would be it so mad. It a pile of dicks. There's literally a scene where they build dramatic tension. By He goes into his room. He's eating a nice bowl of cereal. He sets it on the nightstand. Zoom in on the bowl of cereal. Later, he's walking around the house, goes downstairs, and someone has put the cereal on the coffee table. Who's in the house, Chris? Who moved the cereal? It sucks a pile of dicks. They never tell you, fuck that. I'm not watching that. Correct. Well, I only heard about it because I was working on the 2018 horror movies list. And then as I was working on it, a trailer for it popped up on Netflix. I was like, oh, I'll give this a shot. It's the guy from 13 Reasons Why and Don't Breathe. I'm like, I like him. This could be all right. Nope. Oh. Nope, nope, nope. I thought open house, again, it went back to being a teacher. It's like, oh man, all the parents come in, but he got that one really crazy parent. <laughs> I also watched High High Puffy Amy Yumi, Chris. <laughs> Why'd I do that? Tell me more. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, you want, you ready for me to tell you about the movies I watched? Absolutely. Okay. Something from this decade, I'm sure, go. Uh, well, for... I want the... <clears throat> First, I watched a movie from 1962 called Sanjiro. It's a samurai movie by Akira Kurosawa. It's so good. It really is better than the original version, which is called Yojimbo, which everyone likes that one. And they ended up adapting it into A Fistful of Dollars by Sergio Leone. It has Clint Eastwood in it, a name you know. 
but it's it, I would recommend definitely watching Sanjiro because what it does is I, I've long held the opinion that Akira Kurosawa invented the action movie with 1954's The Seven Samurai, one of my all-time favorites. And he turned samurai movies into action movies instead of just, you know, period dramas and stuff. Although, I mean, Harakiri came out the same year. It was even better than this. But still, it was very good because what it does is... He, he already invented the action movie eight years prior, right? Well, this one, he he makes the action movie even more what it's like today. Think about uh, The Fast and the Furious. The Fast and the Furious, those are action movies. They're very obviously, you will classify this as an action movie. But they've always got something really funny in it. Sometimes it's unintentional, like the beginning of Fast 8. But sometimes it's very obvious Tyree said a funny line, right? So in an action movie, it really helps if you have a little bit of comedy. Some action movies can get away without any. Like Mad Max Fury Road doesn't really have a joke. It has like maybe one where I thought he wasn't crazy anymore. That's it. But all these other uh, action movies, they usually have like a bunch of comedic lines peppered in somewhere to sort of keep the audience understanding that it's just a movie we're here to have fun sort of thing and you know it's kind of difficult to understand Japanese humor versus American humor because they are quite different but Sanjuro does a really good job of you know kind of keeping grace under pressure and just showing like a comedic sense of these movies also there's an extremely bloody gory death at the very end so maybe that's something for you to wait all the way through to watch yeah, if there's one thing about me, it's that I'm very patient with movies. Oh, yeah. Well, the movie's under two hours, so that's Okay, something. okay. Yeah, it's like 96, so that's good. So, like, who's the Tyrese of that movie? Uh, well, it's all, uh, I would say, Toshiro Mifun, who's also the, the lead actor. He's, I don't know what that is. He's funny, but he's also, like, the main bad... You don't know who Toshiro Mifun is? He's one of the greatest Japanese actors of all time. I mean, if he's not in a fucking rubber suit stomping on cardboard buildings, I don't know him, friend. Uh, oh. I'm on brand all the time. Yes, you are. Well, so I'm am not I. I'm caught slipping. I'm back on my bullshit because I watched a 1950 American movie called Born Yesterday. Born Yesterday came out uh, and it won the Academy Award for Best Actress for, I think her name is Judy Holiday or something like that. And she, boy, she has a voice in this movie where, let me see if I can do an impression of it. She kind of talks like this, right? And she's not very bright, but the idea is that they're going to try to make her really smart. Think about, like, that, that episode of Pinky and the Brain where there's a female mouse and they give her, like, a make you smarter bean or something like that. And she becomes really smart. She becomes smarter than the brain. But she's still in love with Pinky because he makes me laugh. Anyway, that's how she talks throughout the entire movie. And the idea is that they're going to make her smart. And they don't do, like, I guess, like, a sort of Prince and Popper thing where by the end of the movie she's talking like she's Meryl Streep. No, she's she still keeps the voice, but she is clearly more intelligent. And more than anything else, she's curious. There's a really good scene where even though she's dumb at one point early in the movie before the education part she's playing gin rummy and she's really good the idea here is to show that she learned how to play that and learned it really quick and really gave a shit about it so they start teaching her about america this is thomas jefferson this is all this other stuff you know and it's really nice to see someone who cares about learning meanwhile she's like engaged to this like steel tycoon who <laughs> i mean the the donald trump joke is a little too obvious here but it's kind of easy. It's right there in your face. Uh, he's a very unlikable character, but he does have some of the best lines in it. And William Holden's also in the movie. The end. <sighs> Making women smart. All these Hollywood libtards thinking that. <laughs> Typical Oscar uh, baited <laughs> movie. So do you want to talk about the Oscar noms or do you want to get to the news segment? 
Do you have any Oscar noms you want to hit on? Listen, or is it just going to make you mad? Listen, I, I want to talk about the, the Oscar nominations real I quick. I had a feeling. <clears throat> we'll lean back here. Yeah, because I, I'm not saying I'm boycotting the Oscars this year. I mean, I am because of the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. But I have to admit <laughs> that I have no desire to watch another award show. Think about where we are as a society. We're watching awards. We're waiting hard for the award shows. Were these people? Do you even know anyone in the Academy? I mean, who even knows who votes for this shit half the time? The same thing with uh, voting people to the NFL Hall of Fame or voting people to the Pro Bowl or or voting for Best Country Music Award. I, I don't care about your award shows. I, I mean, I can't even care about this for awards for writing. Like, I really don't enjoy this whole, like, pageantry that we have for all these movies. And it's not just me being mad that The Handmaiden got completely snubbed on a whole bunch of awards <laughs> and that your name isn't going to win any awards either. That, I mean, that's, that's secondary. That's me being kind of a big baby about movies not winning awards. I just don't care. I, I couldn't possibly care. And I think I'm different from all these other people who are like, oh, I'm not watching the Super Bowl this year because I don't like the Eagles or the Patriots. Everyone pay attention to me. First of all, you're a fucking liar. You're, you're a fucking liar. You're going to watch the Super Bowl. You know why? Because A, the Super Bowl is the most compelling TV event of the year. And B, the Patriots always make it interesting. Name the last Patriots Super Bowl that wasn't really fucking close. You found a way. You tricked me into letting you talk about the Oscars just so you could talk about the Patriots. Huh? Well, well that, there's that too. But yeah, I'm I'm not going to watch the Oscars. I'm sure that the nominations are really interesting. It's like, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis or Gary Oldman for Best Actor. I don't care. I, I do not care. I You know what I care about? I care about the fact that 2017 was one of the best movie years, I think, ever. There's so many good movies, and I don't need like certain ones to win certain awards in order for that to justify my opinion about a certain movie. Mad Max Fury Road didn't win Best Picture the year it came out, and it was still very easily the best movie that came out, and anyone who saw it would agree with me. With all that being said, if this committee of old white people all vote on the Lady Fucks a Fish movie, I'll take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> they have carte blanche forever <laughs> if they look at all these movies and go like yeah that meat lady fucking that fish man this did it for me mostly because it would be too obvious if they gave get out best picture god it's gonna be the post and i'm gonna put my head through a brick wall there's no way yelling the about post how not mad i am there's no way the post chris now about. more than ever the news is important <laughs> Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> that kid almost murdered all those CNN execs. We're working so hard not to say fake news on this podcast. <laughs> I don't want to be a target for this fucking neat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Looks okay. like the kid from the fucking crazy frog dancing video. <laughs> that kid has assault rifles. Oh, my God. The he... world is a nightmare, but at least movies are good. He grew up to be an Infowars guy. <laughs> <laughs> Making the friggin' frogs gay He was right He was right <laughs> You could see it's dick Anyway uh, Speaking of news uh, Are you ready to uh, give us a new segment? One that I've missed for a long time Oh Chris, my goodness the Missed is a word you're gonna regret using Oh god you know I'll start off with something light and playful You said that 2017 was a fantastic year for movies yes. And I agree mm -hmm. And so did Saudi Arabia Because they lifted their 35 year ban on cinemas Oh Would you like to guess what the first movie was that they played? Unfortunately I already know It was the emoji oh. movie Womp womp Yeah that's <laughs> At that point If you're a Saudi Arabian Don't you just want them to bring back the movie ban? <laughs> Absolutely. That's why they lifted it. It's like now they want to attack America now. Yeah, that this is death to like the infidels, right? This is like look aggression. what they're doing over there. 
this is an act of hostile aggression. These people need Allah. So, next one. <laughs> you can't have Muhammad on an emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I wish she could have seen the look on my face last night as I read the headline that John Cena is in talks to play Duke Nukem. <sighs> you know, a friend now, texted me about that. Despite the fact that Duke Nukem is bad and was always bad, John Cena is good. Some might say better movies than The Rock is, and by someone I mean me, and I will die on that hill. I think you actually might be right on that one. Everyone is kind of getting a little bit tired of The Rock, aren't they? I've been tired of him. It's only going to get worse, but that being said, that Rock Jason Statham Fast and Furious spinoff, you think I won't be there at midnight? Oh, of course. Come on, now. Come on. But the thing like about said, the Duke Nukem movie, if you're going to do a Duke Nukem movie, it really has to be big, you know? Like, we saw what happened with Duke Nukem Forever, where it just... There is no joy, no pleasure in that in that game. So you gotta really make it like totally over the top, extreme and cool. Don't do an origin story. Don't do one where he's like some little skinny nerd to get shoved into a locker. Oh my god! You just put that thought in my head and it just ruined my night. Yeah, like the first Captain America movie, which totally sucked. Anyway, next news piece. <laughs> Chris, this just happened. Like I just got this alert before we started recording. A Black Dynamite 2 teaser. Chris, have you seen Black Dynamite? Uh, no. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. We're gonna have an emergency podcast soon. I need you to watch Black Dynamite. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll watch that and Johnny Mnemonic, I guess. Oh, man. And Demolition Man. Uh, well, I've seen, I've seen Demolition Man. <laughs> we should. You can't see Demolition Man enough, though. That's that's a good point. I you do like Demolition Man. You can't oversee it. Alright. Future episode of Demolition Man. Okay. In like mid-April when there's nothing to talk about. Right, right. Now, Chris, one might say Deadpool's a good movie. Some might say the fifth best movie of the year it came out. Yeah. So tell me what this does for you. Ryan Reynolds with the Deadpool writers remaking Clue. I, How does this make you uh, feel? I, I get, um, um, Look, I can't get past the word remake. I, I don't want another remake. Like, are, you can't do it better unless you just really go like, all right, I guess we're just going to go as hard of an R as we can with this. I don't even want that. Bother. I mean, if you're going to do it, at least, like, go for it. I don't, guess. If you make this a PG-13 comedy, fuck off. It, it just wouldn't work. All right, next one. Chris, can you explain... What the fuck this Danny McBride Crocodile Dundee thing is? Excuse me, what? Can you explain what this trailer is, and is it a real movie? I really hope not, because that is he even Australian? <laughs> no. I, uh, not even a little bit. Uh, this is a thing that exists. I believe with everything in my heart and soul, it's just gonna be like a fucking Bud Light Super Bowl commercial. The original Crocodile Dundee wasn't even very good. Nor were the mini sequels. Ugh. I mean, not a lot's known about it. Like, Chris Hemsworth showed up in one of the trailers, and all I can think is, man, like, this Cloverfield 3 viral marketing is fucking intense. <laughs> I'd be into that. I'd be into another Cloverfield. Just the late shot. You know what? We've had some fun, we've had some laughs. But let's get serious, Chris, because I need to talk to you about the DC Extended Universe. It still exists? It's still intact? Best friend, buddy. The Flashpoint movie has hired two comedy directors. 
Now, Chris, when you watch Justice League, a movie I made you pay for and did not reimburse you, <laughs> would you say your favorite part was the all of Flash's comedy? No, I'd say that was one of the worst parts of the entire movie. I thought he was really unfunny and just he never said anything that was even comical. The funniest part was when he was accidentally pressing his face into the Gal Gadot's cleavage. So you don't want people known primarily for comedies writing a movie for The Flash? I, who, who oh, could the writers be? Well, they wrote Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> a movie you didn't see? No, I, oh, the good news, that one isn't nominated for any Oscars, so I don't have to. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> Same thing with Baby Driver, which I wasn't going to watch anyway because of the whole Kevin Spacey thing. Man, I had a conversation with my sister about that movie. She's like, how do you not love it? And I started typing that, and I paused, like, you know what? Oh, uh, maybe. She seems to really enjoy this. I've done enough terrible things to my oh, life to this person. Just, there you go. Just gonna delete that message and go, ah, I didn't like the last 20 minutes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just moved on. <laughs> nope. No need to put this thought in someone else's head. <laughs> Alright, next one. Oh, Chris. Since we mentioned DC, it's oh. time. Ben Affleck wants out. Again. Allegedly. He always wants out. He, of course he doesn't want to play this character anymore. <laughs> I heard him describe as Schrodinger's Batman. He's always either wanting to be Batman or desperately wanting out of the project. <laughs> I can only imagine why he would want to stay. You know, the, the millions of dollars probably helps. I mean, he looked like he was having so much fun in Justice League, delivering those awesome lines. Oh my goodness. He looked like he wanted to fucking die. <laughs> His face was permanently on that set where he's sitting next to Henry Cavill talking to that interviewer for <laughs> That's the saddest video I've ever seen. <laughs> That's man just had this whole future movie. just crumble in front of him. Hey, I'll see some friends. Hey, Ben, why does your movie suck so much shit? Uh, it's an intelligent movie for smart <laughs> for comic and film. It's oh, very uh, cerebral. Uh, it might be too smart for the casual audiences. Oops. You yelled Martha. <laughs> <laughs> so the rumor is still that Jake Gyllenhaal wants to take over. Why? Because he wants millions of dollars, Jake I suppose. Do you think, like, yeah, that's this huge fucking brawler dude who beats people up? Well, when I think Jake Gyllenhaal, I, I just immediately think he would not be a detective. Absolutely not. He would, uh, he would not be figuring out mysteries with a gang. So <laughs> he wouldn't even be in Scooby Doo. He couldn't even play Freddy. Like, I don't want to see people like Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, God knows he's tried to break in with these franchise movies. Oh, yeah. Assassin's Creed. Oh, wait, not Assassin's Creed. Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia. Same thing. Same thing. Somehow worse, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, like, when you see him, it's like, man, in the time that you'd spend making Batman and crossing over all these movies, like, you could be making another Nightcrawler. Can you just do that instead? Nightcrawler's so fucking good. Oh, do yeah. Do not make the X-Men joke. Oh, okay. This is... No, you will not step on my turf. You know what? As punishment for your mind crimes, Chris, I'm going to read you this headline. I'm just going to read it verbatim, and I want to hear your reaction to it live. <clears throat> WB puts the brakes on Gotham City Sirens to focus on Birds of Prey and the Joker versus Harley Quinn. No, no, that's not real. You're just Those were three different movies, all involving Harley Quinzel. 
you know what? Margo, I can't even be mad at Margot Robbie. I thought I was gonna, it's kind of like the Grumpy Cat effect where I'm still mad about Aubrey Plaza. Whereas like with Margot Robbie, it's like, okay, she wasn't the one writing the words. Now that's what I call a killer app. Wink to the camera. She and she went to be in Itania. So she's she's got a lot of time and she was really good in Wolf of Wall Street. And now she's got three different Harley Quinn movies that they want to make. Can you imagine paying for the Joker versus Harley Quinn? And no. not just spiraling into a deep depression? There's gotta be some way I can get out of seeing that. <laughs> we'll see, buddy. <laughs> At this, at that point, I might be so broken myself. It's like, whatever, don't bother. Yeah, we don't have to see all of these. <laughs> I just, I just you absolutely have to. <laughs> I just know they're going to come out three weeks in a row. God Almighty, <laughs> put a gun in my mouth. By that point, I'll be living in Texas, and you'll just be shrieking in my face. <laughs> I'll, I'll see the first one in Gotham City Sirens. The first thing they'll be will be like a trailer next week is Harley Quinn's origin story. <laughs> I'll just have that perma fried face of just like, like people get so old they just constantly look like they're in sheer terror. It'll just be me walking around. Just, ah! <laughs> Everything hurts. Here's the scene where she's 19 years old and doing gymnastics. See? Jesus God <laughs> Almighty. But where did Harleen Quinzel get her law degree? <laughs> I just fucking shoved my face in the popcorn. <laughs> anyway, here's what she did before she met the Joker. Before she was a character. <laughs> God. Three separate movies. That didn't even include Suicide Squad 2. Oh, God. That silence. That is so totally coming out. <laughs> There's nothing you or I or God can do about it. <laughs> they will keep losing money until they heat death of the universe. <laughs> Alright, what's next? God damn Let's see. They'll do it. Alright, thank God. Uh, <laughs> nothing I can say will hurt more than that. You're right. You did mention The Mist, though. Is that like, are they making a sequel or a remake of The Mist? Oh, Stephen King? God. God, I wish. I wish her and her whole stupid goddamn squad were out in that car. <laughs> Fucking Will Smith put a bullet in all their heads. Could you imagine Will Smith executing Killer Croc in that SCP? <laughs> No, I can't because Killer Croc had to be one of the writer's favorite characters. They gave him such great lines. Such as. Yeah. Same. I dare you. Not me. I'm beautiful. I want P-E-T in my cell. Oh my god. I can't wait till you move out here and I make you do a Suicide Squad commentary. <laughs> Which is just me sitting like on the couch behind you doing the El Presidor laugh when you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I start to be a little too quiet and scream Jimmy Haslam's name in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the Joker tree frag comment for not wanting to fuck his girlfriend. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. Harley Quinn said something really stupid there. I was really, it kind of reminds me of the 1950 movie. Todd Haley! <laughs> <laughs> You just hear the constant sound of his seatbelt dinging. 
this is definitely going to get cut, but I just wanted to remind you <laughs> when the Tigers got swept, and he just swept around his basement while whistling Take Me Out to the Ball Game. I am absolutely not cutting that. That's funnier than anything we said so far. He's so fucking cool. He's like 50. He just screams at Call of Duty for the last eight years. I can't believe he gets paid to tackle trees in his backyard. He's my idol. Oh He's living God. his best life. <laughs> He's living his only life. Can you imagine being related to this guy? How <laughs> many <laughs> laptops has he broken while screaming, Jimmy Hassel? <laughs> Mike Pettin, you make me sick. <laughs> He's just filming himself driving and going, you know, you know, and people who pass him. <laughs> Imagine El Prezor doing any of the Tommy Wiseau freakouts in the room. Oh, man. Well, speaking of the room, now, we've all seen the room. And here's how I know we've all seen the room. You see the very beginning of the movie, and James Franco has got all of his Hollywood friends to talk about how much they love it. Good for you, James Franco. We know you're very popular. Uh, and one of the things that really comes to my mind whenever I watch it is that it, it's always a big reaction and everyone seems to have seen it. And there, there's a big one. It's that guy from, I guess, Parks and Rec. He was, it was, the, he was a father in uh, Krampus. What's his name? Oh, Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Thank you. Uh, he was the one who was saying people are still talking about this movie 15 years after the fact. You still don't see people talk about the Oscar winner for Best Picture from 10 years ago. Do you even know what won the Oscar for Best Picture for 10 years ago? I don't off the top of my head. But The Room, if you've seen it, you're talking about it with anyone else who's it. You're quoting it at length. We're still quoting it in our office today, you know? Uh, and I've seen it. I saw it on my own. I saw the Nostalgia Critic Review. And I forced, <laughs> shut up, and I forced Alex to watch it. Uh, Forcing Alex to watch it was a lot of fun because uh, she was just like, oh, that was terrible, Chris. That was really bad. I was like, yeah, that's the point. And then I uh, went and saw it in theaters. And seeing it in theaters is a whole lot of fun. And it's not just like the whole, oh, throw spoons at the screen sort of thing. It's just the laughter. It's just everyone's laughing and having a good time. It is, well, I mean, we've all got a pain some on, you know, obviously everyone thinks it's bad. But I, I think it's kind of beautiful in a way. I think that there is a lot of joy to see some guy who's like, you know what? I finally got my millions of dollars. I'm going to make a movie that is my dream. And here it is. Because shit, like they say in the movie, I couldn't have done that. Absolutely not. It's a beautiful movie because you're never bored. Mm -hmm. I guess someone who watches a lot of bad movies, that fucking horror movie, The Open House, I was bored a whole lot. Like my favorite I was thing, not bored watching the room. My favorite thing about it is watching it with someone who's never seen it before because I'm insufferable during that moment because <laughs> I cannot help but giggle at all the really funny parts. I think the worst line in the Disaster Artist was the guy realizes about 40 minutes into the room, "Hey, uh, this movie is not really that good, is it?" It's like you should know from the very first spoken line of dialogue. In fact, if you don't know that it's funny from the from the two like logos at the beginning of the movie, you're probably missing <laughs> something. Like as soon as he says, "Hi, babe, I have something for you," you know, it's like that should be really obvious that this movie is not going to be a winner. I also got had that experience about a month ago of showing it to someone for the first time and just constantly looking over at her face, like, "Yeah, yeah, isn't it incredible?" And luckily, she didn't get bored halfway through it. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, why am I... 
I'm, again, I'm just thinking of all the different moments in there. I'm going to have to end this podcast with "You are my rose, you are my rose, you are my rose." I started singing that at work. <laughs> she did not find it amusing. Turns out, uh, one of the girl who sits next to me at work, Gabby, she's really wonderful. You'd like her a lot. Uh, she, <laughs> David, and I forced her to watch the room, and we forced her to see it in theaters, and we could not stop quoting it. <laughs> and and she can't stand it when we quote it. But next time I, she asked me to do something, I do. I'm going to say anything for my princess <laughs> uh, one of my favorite ones is she would just quote it on her own and be like if you think I'm tired today wait until you see me tomorrow <laughs> I think I told you this but like for the entire next week after we watch it I'd find her and she'd be working on something I'd run up to her and go hey look I can't talk right now I'll call you back later and just walk <laughs> like a straight week <laughs> My favorite thing is to so do that. Just bring up something. Like, yeah, someone's bothering me. And it would be like, oh, what's the matter, Chris? I can't talk about it. So <laughs> and one of the things that you can kind of tell just from this back and forth and from the beginning of the movie is there there is a very substantial fan base for this. Like, people have been clamoring for a movie like The Disaster Artist for a very long time. It's not just the whole, oh, throw spoons to the screen whenever there's a spoon on screen. It's more than that. It's everyone cares about this movie. Everyone has their own, like, theories about it. The theory thing is one I'll come back to, you know. And eventually, uh, Greg Sestero, the guy who played Mark in the movie, decided, okay, I'm going to write about my life and the making of this movie. So he released a book called The Disaster Artist, My Life Behind One of the Worst Movies Ever Made. And boy, I love that book. I love that book so much. I, I lent a copy to a friend and it was taking too long to read it. So I bought another copy for myself to reread again. It's usually a book I can read in two to three days. Parker, how much longer do you have to finish it? Look, I'm halfway through it. You didn't even... I am... What I'm going to do Look, the fact that I've read 100 plus pages of any book is so (laughs) off-brand. That's a good point. Um, This is a triumph for me. That's a big deal. also, I close now at work. Oh, that's... Oh, I'm sorry. Womp womp. Yeah, but, you know, either way, it's... To me, it's a very fast read. It's also a very interesting read. It's a book that I can't really put down just because I'm so fascinated by the story. Uh, this will unfortunately come back to ding the movie somewhat, but it's it's just so fascinating to be like Greg Sestero is a very trustworthy, credible writer, and you care about what he's saying and you believe in what he's saying. And part of the fun is not just like oh, the making of the movie is in itself already like that's Oscar material right there. I have got to know about all this other stuff, like shooting on two different forms of video that he decided to buy instead of rent, meanwhile pinching pennies elsewhere, but also just who the hell Tommy is, because everyone's still curious about it. In fact, Greg Cicero could not get those answers out of him. But the whole, like, letting Greg live with him in a an apartment in L.A., that is nuts. Yeah, they sort of teased a weird love triangle jealousy thing that I kind of wish they'd gone with a bit further. Sort of teased? They went uh, kind of further than I think they should have. Yes, in the movie they do make a couple of uh, homosexual uh, overtones. I, I, mean, I hate to spoil the book for you. This weird old that, foreign man invited a boy to come live with him. I mean, yeah. It's actually it's a little bit funnier in the book. His mom says, "No sex, Tommy." <laughs> <laughs> I did get to that part. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, just, hey, we all do it. <laughs> just a Excuse wow. Me. This these questions. She's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in real life, 
No, Tommy's Tommy's not gay for Greg. Although I am, so there's yeah. That. I mean, I mean, he is a look beautiful, beautiful boy. Those fucking modeling pictures. Are you serious? He like, looks great. On. So that is a credit to his specimen. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's but yeah, nothing like that ever happens. Although Tommy was very possessive of Greg, he really wanted him to be his friend and no one else. It's like, oh, look at you getting auditions and having girlfriend and you know whatever. And it got to be kind of distressing. There are, there are a couple kind of tense parts in the book. I don't know if you've got there yet, but it's like, oh, geez. I wonder if this guy can really be left all, all on his own. Or, as the movie says, can you ever really trust anyone? <laughs> the passion of Tennessee Williams, Parker. <laughs> Where do we start with this movie? Should we? It's a difficult one to talk about because more than anything, it's a comedy and like, do you just run through a comedy start to finish? Well, that's the thing that makes it a little bit difficult to attack. The important thing is, as a comedy, is this funny? Because I think this is quite different from a horror movie. A horror movie doesn't have to scare me in order for it to be good. But I would say that a comedy really has to make me laugh like really hard at least once. For that, I would say that this movie did make me laugh out loud really hard once i don't remember what it was but it was some i think it uh, i think it was actually seth rogan uh, i will admit seth rogan got me in this movie i thought he was really funny yeah i thought as a comedy it works really really well as other things i wish it could have been well that we'll get to later not as much but if you take it just solely as a comedy of these two people one of them being the weirdest person you've ever seen in your life i think it's pretty good yeah i think the one way that this movie it tries to do it and it kind of falls on its face here is as a drama because okay i'm not saying the book is a hardcore drama but you do when you feel when you read the book you do definitely feel bad for tommy at least a couple times you also realize that he's not a good person because what he's doing is really manipulative and controlling and he's you know again really creepy and weird and at times abusive to his crew and actors but again you also get the feeling that he's very isolated and that he's grown up alone for his entire life and that he's led a, a pretty rough series of events in fact there's one point i know you haven't gotten to it yet there is a part of that book that almost made me cry and that's the one part of the book that is not confirmed true it's just speculation it's greg thinking about what tommy's life might have been and that one got to me and the movie can't really do that. And I, I think it's it's just a fault of the fact that it's a movie in itself. Because James Franco, dressed up like that, doing that accent, kicking a, a mailbox or, or like that newspaper stand or whatever like that, it's not going to make me like feel bad. Or even at the at the climax of the movie, it's like, oh, they all laugh at my movie. And it's like, that's not really, I'm not really feeling a tearjerker here. I don't feel bad. No heartstrings being pulled for you, dude. I'll just say it now. So this movie does not work without James Franco. You agree with me on that, right? Of course. But I wish anyone else had directed it. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I, had... I wish literally anyone else, because James Franco's directed, what, 20, 30 movies? <laughs> They're all garbage. Like, I wish anyone had a that had like a vision of, like, no, we're going to tell this story about these people and reel everyone in. Because it kind of feels at times like... Hey, James Franco and his, all of his friends got together and made the movie about the silly movie they like. Well, you know... Like, the things you brought up about how manipulative you can be, like... I mean, obviously, that's not going to be in this movie, because Tommy's not going to sign off on that, but... 
that's the movie I want to see. I want to see that. I want to see the glimpses into his weird past. No, I think Tommy would have signed off on just about anything that they had. I think at the real life Tommy really enjoys the limelight. He's kind of riding this wave. You you watch the post credit scene, right? Of course. Yeah, he, he shows up there and he says the really idiotic lines from his movie. He's he's enjoying this. There's no problem with that. If I were him, I would be all in on this. I would if ride I, this train to my grave. Do you know why that scene is there? Why? Because it was in the contract. He had to have a scene in the movie. Oh. So they just filmed something that didn't matter and put it after the credits. Well, it was worth watching. Uh, I think I my favorite it. part of the movie was actually uh, when they do it back, the scenes back to back with the original room uh, versus uh, this one and the way they recreated it. Boy, they do some really, really good recreations. If they had just done a shop, a shot for shot remake with different actors in it, I probably would have watched it. <laughs> you know what drove me crazy about that scene, though? What? So they do the scene where he goes to the flower shop. Yeah. They don't even get the fact that that scene's so funny because it's so poorly overdubbed and like they're almost talking over each other. There's like, that. How do you so not fast. get that? <laughs> I was so mad. Like, how do you spend all this time slavishly remaking this and not get that the reason that's funny is because of the shitty overdubbing? <laughs> the, the overdubbing is pretty good too. But that woman is not a professional actress either. She just happens to actually work at the flower shop and is already a better actor than Greg Sestero. <laughs> uh, Poor Greg. About Greg Sestero. Um, I'm a little surprised that he signed on for this. Okay. I, I texted you when watching the movie. I think I would. I just finished the first act of the movie and I, I texted you. You know, this movie is really good. I will admit it. I got up to make myself some rice. Went back to watching the movie, and by the time the third act ended, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to have a take for you, and it was not a good one. The main problem I have with this movie is it's it's not accurate at all, and that really bothers me. There are, there are several things that I'll do on this podcast, and I'll do almost anything for a laugh or, or to make something interesting, but one thing I promise I'll never do to you, Parker, or to anyone else who listens to this is I will not lie to you. This movie frequently lies to its audience. It says, oh no, this is the way it happened, and people are going to believe that because we have a steadily more illiterate audience. People are going to watch this movie instead of reading the book. That book, as far as I can tell, is really accurate. This... Some of the parts are, I, I can't even believe. I think the climax of the movie, I guess, is the scene where they're throwing around that football in San Francisco. That conversation never happened. Yeah, like that whole third act, spoilers, I do not like. Yeah. I do not like. I don't like it either. The entire third act is incredibly misguided. Yeah. Now. Like, I get trying to streamline it to, hey, we showed it and everyone started laughing in a way that no one has ever laughed in a movie before. And then he gets on stage and goes, haha, I made it funny on purpose. And then there's text like, it's a cult phenomenon that made its money back by. Now, what I really don't like is one of the ones, it actually, it's in the second act, where they say it's, oh, day one of, of 40, shooting day one of 40. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Chris R scene where he's beating the shit out of Denny. And everyone's like, yeah, great scene. That one's in the can. No, that wasn't the reaction. Their, the reaction was, this looks like it's going to be a disaster production, and indeed it was. It, it wasn't like, yeah, we're starting off strong, and then by you know the second one, it's Greg Cicero's first shoot or whatever like that. It, it wasn't like it started off smooth and then it went off the rails. No, this was never on any rails to begin with. 
the movie to me is a very 50-50 movie. Some scenes are just expertly realized. It, they do a very good job. The scene where they go to buy the cameras, thank you for that. You did such a good job. Seth Rogen as Sandy, that is exactly what I'm looking for. But other scenes are just complete works of fiction. Uh, the whole relationship with Alison Brie, that, look, his, oh, his girlfriend was not exactly like a major player in the book, but she was always there kind of in the background. Alison Brie is just way too distracting this movie just because she's a little too easy on the eyes. She's just like, oh, I wonder when he'll get back with Alison Brie. No, it's it feels like she's misplaced in this. It feels like she should even be seen. She should just be a voice, you know? You want to talk about a thankless role in this movie? I mean, does she have what one two scenes where she talks to him like hey i don't know about this tommy guy well bye movie well that's the thing that really bothers me is that's one of the the worst parts where he meets brian cranston who wants to cast him and yeah, knock him in the middle that hey, do you never know happened. That happened do you know why they chose that brian cranston's because a fan he, of the cause, room because he was in that shitty movie why him with brian cranston so he was like hey what if we just shot this? Oh, right. I forgot about that movie. That I think is everyone a movie that movie. I saw and shook that Etch-A-Sketch, and that movie is gone from the old memory palace. Well... <laughs> to tell you a thing that happened. Jonesy, I'm sure we'll find it if you look hot <laughs> enough. But... <laughs> I hope that he finally accepts him and lets his daughter marry him. Oh, everyone's happy! Oh, yeah, and then Kiss showed up at the end. Yeah, you know what? Fuck that movie. Yeah, well, uh... Boy, I can't believe that you actually... Anyway, that Brian Cranston scene... Never happened. Why include it in the... Well, okay, yeah, you just gave me the reason for it, but <laughs> if it didn't happen, don't put it in there. It reminds me of Saving Mr. Banks. It, it, that movie is a, it's a lie. It is a lie told to try to make people feel better about things. And over here, it's it's obviously like they're doing it. It would be, oh, it'd be more dramatic if this happened in, than instead of in the book. Like, you definitely cannot do a one-to-one -one adaptation of the book because half that book no one cares about. With apologies to Greg Sestero, his life is not interesting to make a movie out of. Even Dude. the part where he meets Tommy before making the movie, that would just be like the little stuff before it. It'd be like, oh, let's drive 300 miles to uh, the site where James <laughs> Dean crashed. But uh, Thank you for saying it, because as I read, every time I finish a filming of the room chapter and get to... So I was driving down Santa Monica, close the book, go to bed. Every night for like the last week. I will admit, those are the worst parts of the book, but uh, I... But I think it actually would have been more interesting hearing a little bit more about filming Puppet Master 5. Fuck yeah, dude. That's what I want. I want the 20-minute subplot of him flying out and filming in Charles Band's weird castle where he makes these movies. I'm, I'm interested in that, but obviously the best parts of the book are just like, here's how we make the movie. But one of the things that the, the Disaster Artist does, I think a little too frequently, is a couple winks and nods to the audience questions that were probably asked or or conversations that came up but they're things that fans say they're not things that the actors said although i'm again i'm sure the actors probably wondered it amongst themselves but i think they're more of like fan things again it's it's a reference to the fans like the first one denny asks uh how old am i supposed to be uh he's your age he's like 15 16 i'm 26 you know that that's a big one or the one that really just sticks out in my mind is the actress who played Michelle, I don't remember her name, she's like, oh, I've got a theory. She might as well have looked at the audience and said, just like I'm sure many of you do, where she's like, I think this is autobiographical. Like, yes, of course it's autobiographical. It's in the book. 
It's fairly he obvious. He wrote and directed and starred in this movie. Yeah, it's probably fucking autobiographical. Yeah, there's that, and he's like, I think that he had a best friend, like like Greg Sestero, and he had a little brother that he looked out for, which that never comes to fruition. I don't believe in that sort of thing. It's just he wanted to seem like a good father figure or something like that. Depends what Denny is supposed to be. I mean, what, not who. But the other one is, like, I think that there was something that really broke his heart, and I think it was the universe. No, it was a girl. He even, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he actually brings it up in the movie really briefly. It's like, oh, the weird thing is that uh, she paid for dinner. Yeah, that's the girl who broke his heart. It, it's, it, that is it. It, it kind of spells it out in the book. Man, you mentioned the Greg Sestero problem. There's a Greg Sestero problem in this movie. Yes. And that problem is Dave Franco, because, like, He's fine. I don't see him as Greg. I just see him as Dave Franco with a beard. That is exactly like, what he is doing, yeah. But as the self-insert character who's supposed to guide you through the weird, weird world that is Tommy Wiseau, there is, there's not enough there. He is not good enough to be the guy that's like that carries you through this friendship, knowing this dude, developing this movie. Like There's just there's nothing there. Yeah, he's not interesting. And the whole... The voice I does was like, yeah, that's great, Tommy. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, you're crazy out there, man. <laughs> it sounds like Morty. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez, Tommy. <laughs> don't don't make a pickle, Rick, joke here. Come on. <laughs> I was gonna call you pickle, Chris. But here we are. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> now it's on there forever. Yeah, he's he's just really kind of annoying in this movie, and. I hate to say this about Dave Franco, who is better looking than I am, I will admit it, but he's not as good looking as Greg Sestero. They really should have just got Greg to reprise everything for this movie. Greg Sestero is a dreamboat. He so is. That's fair. And you know what? I, I, boy, I really wish that they could have just included him in like a cameo role. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe I just missed him. He's a really good actor. Man, you wouldn't know it from watching of the room. Cameos. I watched this entire movie and did not realize that Zach Efron was Chris R. That was Zach Efron. Yep. Holy sh! I had no. Right? Idea. I had no idea. It's not just me. I think I was distracted by Andre from the league. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> I saw him there. I was like, yeah, that, I can't think of anyone else now. <laughs> like, I think every single little celebrity cameo is pretty funny. Like, if you want a fun, it's like an Chris. interesting retelling of how they made the room read the book if you want a fun comedy where james franco gets all of his friends together to make a silly movie about this bad movie disaster artist is pretty good yeah but if you want like an accurate retelling just read the book if you want that's the me truth, telling you to go read. for the book because the other thing about it is that it there, there's so much inaccuracies about the book is like when greg signs on to do the movie no 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 that was not what happened greg did not want to be in the room he did not want to be involved with the room he was he, he had a job working as somewhere else and so he could build up enough money so he could move away from tommy he was getting kind of sick of tommy at this point the only reason he ever signed on to it is tommy said a number the amount that he was going oh, to pay him yeah. that was like through the roof he's like oh my god that'd be enough for me to like move out this could really like kickstart my career i could you know really focus on acting quit my job and you know become a full-time actor and apparently that didn't actually work out but like he he was really reluctant to uh take the part of greg he uh, take the part of mark it was he kind of got tricked into it one of the other things is just a slap in the face to the book where he's like oh we'll we'll call the friend mark like mark damon from talented ripley man movie guys that's one of the best parts of the book where his friend drags is like you have got to watch a talented mr ripley no 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 i'm going to make you watch this movie and he just put put it down it's like yeah 
That's Tommy right there. That's one of the creepy parts of the book. That's like, oh my god, Tommy's going to kill me. Oh no, I had a thought. I lost it. Shit. Ah, uh, well, it's gone. But that's a. Oh, I mean, it reminds me of other things. And again, I will defend the movie on this point. There are certain things that are just not filmable. Like it just wouldn't be interesting. Like the scene where he's <laughs> Tommy's driving 15 miles below the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. How do you not include the fact that they already had Mark cast and they just had him film his scenes too? Like, now nah, the producer. I think that would be kind of tough too. Actually, I think like, that would be a little bit. That's so fucked up. Yeah, it is very fucked up. Yes. The look on my face as I read that paragraph, and then as it actually happened, like, I don't know. I feel like you have to make room for that just to get a sense of if you really want to get into how fucked up this movie was. They filmed everyone's scenes and then went, oh, hey, the producer wants to see my intern. And then just filmed them again. <laughs> I don't know how this guy didn't catch on to it. His screen test <laughs> yeah, for other movies. fishy going on around here. <laughs> well, the other one that I think the, the movie really mishandled is one of the big blow-up scenes where he points out a pimple on Juliet Daniels' arm. In the book... That really hurt her. That really... And she wasn't like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I, I'm, I'm cool, it's all right. No, in, in the book she cried, you know? And it was really rude and obnoxious. And it didn't create a big, like, blob. Like, you disrespect her, this sort of thing. No, it was just everyone was looking at us like, oh, jeez, let's just film this once, please. Uh, yeah, okay, they did make a joke about he had to show his ass to sell the movie. But they didn't make enough of a joke about uh, Greg walking out of the theater every single time his sex scene comes on. He cannot watch that scene. <laughs> I don't blame him. Um, you are my rose. You are my rose. And that's the other thing is they keep trying to the other thing is the way that movies work is there really needs to be building action building tension so when they get to filming in San Francisco in the park where they're throwing the football around and he you know he angrily interrogates him which leads to Tommy tackling him that never happened at that point Greg was kind of on autopilot that does not make for an interesting movie so I can see why they changed it I guess it's just my own sort of frustration where I really care about the true story being told So here's here's my thing here. The entire third act, it it kind of sucks. Like, do do we agree? Yeah, on Yeah, I think we agree on it. Like, first act should be them meeting. Second act should be them filming it. The entire third act should be what is essentially just one screening at the end. The whole third act should be them realizing this movie fucking sucks. They part ways, and then it slowly gains popularity and creeps into pop culture that should exactly like, i remember be watching dude i remember watching adult swim on april fool's day when they played the room and being real fucking confused as to what i was seeing i remember that i was sitting my ass in front of the tv like they could have done so much with how this movie has grown but they just rush it and then they there's one screening where everyone laughs in a way like i laugh a lot i've never just screamed mouth agape for the entire runtime of a movie before. Now, I, I will say this. Uh, <clears throat> a, the people take a little too long to laugh at it. They're just like, I guess we'll go along with this. I, I wouldn't be able to, to hold it in. When Denny comes in there, like, that fucking guy, I would be losing it. <clears throat> Sorry, I lose my voice here. The other thing about it here that, that really does get to me 
is that you need to show things in a certain way. Like you said, like you need to show the impact that it's had and the way that the movie has grown in certain ways. You're right, that should be the third act because all they have is just people laughing. I, I think, and you, you said laughing in a way that I've never done it before. Think about it like this. Remember when Tommy Wiseau uh, got up on stage with James Franco at the, uh, at the Golden Globes? And, <laughs> and it cut to Greg Sestero crying. Because he was so happy for his friend who's been kicked around all his life, even though he's a millionaire, even though he's kind of a jerk. To see him finally get, you know, what he's been looking for this whole time, it's kind of beautiful. This, in some way, is part of the American dream, as any man from New Orleans would understand. So, to me, what really bothers me when I watch this movie, The Disaster Artist, is the very end where he puts the gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger and everyone in the audience is screaming, do it, do it, do it. That didn't yeah, occur in the theater that I watched. Yeah, that's... No <clears throat> audience would ever do that. And by the way, the thing you mentioned of Greg, like, in tears, like, I wish that was the movie. Like, I enjoyed this for what it was. I enjoyed it as a comedy. But I would real. I liked it. I would love it if it was this dude following his dream, it being this colossal failure, and then slowly growing into what it is, like... Could you imagine if Paul Thomas Anderson made this movie? I Could you even imagine how incredible it would be? Well, as long as it's faithful, I probably would enjoy it. Hell, even if it wasn't faithful, I think he would do a better job adapting it. God, if he just <clears throat> boogie nights the shit out of the disaster artist, like, god damn, that'd be incredible. Well, that's the thing, is that this was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. I think it was adapted too heavily. And that kind of bugs me because if you had done it like Logan was a good adaptation, that should really win it. Here's a better one. Uh, I, Tanya's screenplay was adapted from her real life. But they remind you at certain parts of the movie that you have two unreliable narrators. At one point, Margot Robbie turns to the screen and is like, oh, that's bullshit. That never happened as she cocks her shotgun. Fantastic scene. That's one of the best scenes of any movie of the last 10 years. And I've never seen that in a movie before. And I love it. But in this one, it's just trying to present things that did not happen as truth, and, and it just really does bug me. That, that being said, the movie does a number of things incredibly well. Like you said, it's funny. Like, you're going to watch this with other people. If they're not familiar with the room, then they might be confused, but I think they will certainly be, like, captivated. They're going to be like, wow, i, I got to see the room now, you know? And they're going to laugh at James Franco because James Franco is very funny. You know, uh, also I gotta ask this question: When he's in the restaurant and he he's uh, bothering that famous Hollywood producer, was that supposed to be a Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> it might have been. It was Judd Apatow playing him, right? Well, yeah, I, maybe that was just Judd Apatow being Judd Apatow because, uh, <laughs> boy, he was obnoxious <laughs> the whole time. Like, you're on you're on Tommy's side. It's like, yeah, I just got through two fucking sonnets. <laughs> Like, we've been shitting on the movie, but, like, we both liked it. It's just... Oh, yeah, absolutely. The alternative is going, what'd you think of this scene? I thought it was pretty funny. It, what'd you think of that joke? That was pretty funny. Here's here's what gets to me, and this is going to be... It'll sound like a really stinging indictment. It, I think it is in my top ten, but only just barely. I don't know if I liked it more or less than it. Like, I obviously don't want to compare those movies. You can't really put them side to side. They're very different movies, but... I'm thinking back. I'm just thinking back to it, and I have to admit, I think I should have been a little bit kinder to it. It was a very good movie. Yeah, I I picked it up on Blu-ray the other week. It's, it's good as hell, man. Like it is pretty formulaic. Like you can tell pretty early. Like all right, it's been ten minutes. Scary scene incoming, but 
that's a fun ass movie like we had people over watch it again it's just it's fun it hits all those buttons it's turns out that girl being a damsel in distress was stupid though yeah, I mean, look, well, no movie's perfect. <laughs> Except for Army of Darkness. I mean, you know, as the fourth best Evil Dead movie. Oh, what I'm going to do to you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, honestly, I just wish this movie knew what it wanted to be. Yeah, like, there's Is that. it a story about Tommy chasing the American dream? Is it about these two friends? Is it, like, if this was just, hey, it's 90 minutes, it's just making this movie, I'd probably like it a lot. If it was these two chasing their dream and culminating in it being this huge success i'd probably like that too but i will say this to be both. if i had never seen the room and i had never read the book the disaster artist and i saw this movie in theaters i'd probably love it i'd probably be ecstatic about it i'd probably be like a huge fan and that is like one of the highest compliments that i could possibly give this movie is that even though it isn't accurate it is really good at telling a story and I think, yeah, the third act would probably suffer a bit in my mind even then. But if I wasn't familiar with all, like, you know, the cult status of it, I would probably enjoy it at least a little bit. I'd be like, wow, this is incredible based on a true story. How could this happen? And, you know, I've, I've always been, like, kind of mystified a bit by Hollywood. So, again, if I wasn't familiar with everything, I guess I would like it a little bit more. Which goes to show how the fandom for this movie is different from the fandom for, like, Harry Potter. Is that the Harry Potter movies are different from, like, the Harry Potter books. But you're going to watch it anyway because you people are slaves to content. Same here. But, you know. <laughs> I'm very happy I watched the movie first. Because, I mean, no movie's ever going to match up to the book. You just don't have the time. Uh, well, some movies, I, I would say some movies are better than the book. I would say uh, the Lord of the Rings movies are better than the Lord of the Rings books. I'm completely serious about that. Um, a Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is better a, than the book. A ninety-minute movie isn't going to get into the strange minutia of Tommy ordering hot water every time he goes to a restaurant. Which is okay. That's a good point. That's not really something that you can like just film because it would just it would actually be distracting at that point. You're like, is that supposed to be another joke? Is that like another thing here? I'm focusing on that instead of what he's saying at this point. You know, whereas in the book, I could read that. It was like, why in the world is he ordering hot water? You know. Like they're, they're, I haven't finished the book, but from what I've read, there's a lot of changes, but I feel like they do a good job of streamlining. Here's these eight different ideas that are pretty similar. Let's just... Okay, just make it Brian Cranston and Malcolm in the Middle. Like, it gets the point across. Okay, you know what? That is fair. I guess you kind of convinced me on that. It's just, I, I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I thought that I would. There was this guy at work who keep tell, who would keep telling me, he was like, have you seen it? Have you seen it yet? Have you seen it yet? I was like, no, dude, but you don't give me a break. And, and now that I've seen it, I'm going to have to tell him that I thought it was good, not great. I mean, you hold this book very closely. You, I know I how much you love it. So any change is gonna is gonna get you pretty on tilt. That's a good point. Uh, Greg Sestero is actually coming to my local Alamo Draft House. I'm not gonna be able to make it because I work that day. But my good friend Stephanie's gonna go because ever since I made her a watch the room and b read the book. Actually, no, I think she watched the room on on her own volition. I, I can't remember, but I did give her the book to read and be like, hey, you should really get into it. She's been a huge, huge obsessed fan. I think she's a bigger fan of The Room and The Disaster Arts than I am. Uh, she's going to go and get to meet Greg and she's going to take one of my books to sign. And this is specifically for her. Stephanie, you ruined one of my books. I think you just, like <laughs> dropped it in a lake. All the pages are warped and everything. And it's not about the way the pages are cut. They're all like that. You ruined the book. Not me, not Gabby. It was you. I'm putting this out there for my audience of possibly four, maybe even five. Look, all I know is watching a movie in which two young content creators try and make their way in the world. 
I felt it. <laughs> I felt it deep in my bones. Chris. You know what? That's that's the thing is that this really does kind of remind me of uh, another relationship. You and I were kind of like. Uh, two pioneers set to change the way that people think about content. Basically, what I'm saying is that I'm John Madden and you're Pat Summerall. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I always consider myself the Al Michaels of talking about comic book movies. <laughs> There's a play at the 40 and he just ordered hot water. <laughs> <sighs> Are we good? I, I think we're I think we're about set. I think we're about said. I've said about all I can say about this movie. You can tell this podcast isn't as long as others, but I mean, even if I was jumping up and down about this movie, there's no one scene that really sticks out to me as like, oh yeah, best scene in the whole movie. I, again, I do think that Seth Rogen is probably the best part of this movie. Besides, I guess Regar- James Franco. Regardless of what we have problems we have with it, James Franco fucking crushes it. Like, yeah, I said before when I first watched it a couple weeks ago, like. This is one of two movies ever where I'd completely lose him as who he's playing. The other is Every breakers. other movie is... I mean, am I wrong? No, you're am not. I wrong? Like, every other movie, it's like, well, there's just James Franco's big, dumb, smiling face. Oh, God bless him. Peter Parker, Mary Jane, and their friend James Franco. <laughs> like, he's always him, but I fucking lose him in this movie constantly. Yeah. All right, Parker. So there were a number of I've, other really good movies from last year that we haven't seen. Oh, no, no. Oh, you're I not have ready? a good tease for you for next week. Oh, go for I'm, it. I may or may not have written one down here. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> Chris, 2017 featured a theatrical sequel to a very contentious movie. The gap between them left a lot of people asking prior to the release if there's any good reason to bring it back other than for money. So you and I will dig into that question many more when we tackle Jigsaw. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Blade Runner 2049. I apologize. <laughs> Alright, that's not bad. I thought you were going to go with a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> oh, man. Was it Leatherface? Leatherface came out, right? Yeah, oh, well. sure did. Oh, well, well, Jigsaw actually made it to more than two theaters. <laughs> Leatherface. I walked past it at work. I walked past the Blu-ray. I was like, say. <laughs> what if I trick this motherfucker? Oh, Jigsaw's so bad, dude. I'm not watching that. It's funny as shit. I bet it's really good. All right, we'll watch Blade Runner. And special little treat for you guys. We're going to watch the original Blade Runner. And we're going to watch Blade Runner 2049. So I guess we're not going to be sleeping this week. But uh, Absolutely not. It's not like I have anything else that you're going to make me watch in preparation for another podcast. <laughs> you're lucky it's the fucking Pro Bowl. That's all I have to say. <laughs> okay. You have a whole week to prepare yourself for Steven Universe. <laughs>